This episode is brought to you by Ursa Minor Outfitters. Folks, I'm absolutely in love with my Loon mug. It's handmade. It's an absolute piece of art. Whether it's at the office or at the house, people keep asking to check it out. If you're not a Loon fan, they also have other beautiful mugs for wildlife fans of moose, bears, and eagles. They specialize in products highlighting the outdoors and local pride through quality design by local artists. They've even started expanding into items beyond mugs, like apparel, dog accessories, and soon candles and more. They also try to partner and highlight other small businesses and in some cases forgo profits in lieu of charitable giving to help their community such as the dog rescue. So check them out ursaminoroutfitters.com and enter promo code HIKESMIKES10 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. And for our four-legged hiking partners they also have a portable silicone dog bowl and also sweet over-the-collar dog bandana. Go check them out ursaminoroutfitters.com and don't forget to enter promo code HIKESMIKES10 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. Welcome, everyone, to a special bonus episode of the Hikes and Mikes podcast. I'm your host, Ivan, and occasionally I'll be bringing you some bonus episodes highlighting some amazing individuals who are participating in some fun outdoor events or helping some incredible nonprofits, as well as some up-and-coming outdoor companies, as we put the finishing touches on our Season 4 premiere episode. This episode was too good not to share at the start of the fall hiking season. So we're sharing this bonus episode with Joshua from Foretold Coffee Company on a Monday. You can follow them on Instagram at Foretold Coffee Co. In today's episode, Joshua shares with us the inspirational origin story of Foretold Coffee Company, some of his favorite hikes in and around Washington, and he breaks down how their different varieties came to be, including my personal favorite, Mexican honey, which once you hear the story behind it, you'll appreciate it as much as I do. And Joshua and the team at Foretold Coffee Company are offering Hikes and Mike's listeners a special offer of 10% off their first bag of coffee when you use the promo code HikesMikes10 at checkout. Without further ado, let's dive right into this episode featuring our guest, Joshua. Welcome, everyone, to a new bonus episode of the Hikes and Mikes podcast. I'm really stoked to be talking to this individual about his amazing company that he started. Foretold Coffee has been amazing. They've been a big supporters of the outdoors and hikers alike, especially here in the Pacific Northwest. Joshua, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You know, we always like to start off by asking our guests, how long have they been hiking for and how they got started? Yeah, awesome. And before anything else, thank you for having me. This is a great platform. I'm really excited to see what you guys have been doing. I personally have been hiking for about eight years. I started in kind of an indirect way by enlisting in the army and then getting stationed in Alaska. So I'm originally okay. from St. Louis, Missouri. So there's not as much hiking in the way that we've come to know it. But us going up the mountains in the Anchorage area, we knew those or called those training exercises or PT. So we never really thought about it as having this grandiose outdoors experience. Um, it wasn't until I got a little bit older did I really understand the value of what was happening at the time. We did a training exercise uh, in Crow's Pass, which was supposed to be like this, hey, mandatory fun training exercise. Like 
you are going to show up whether you want to or not. You are not volunteering. <laughs> and that was a 21 mile push through Alaska with a water crossing and like 3,550 feet of elevation. So oh, I was hiking and backpacking and experiencing, experiencing the outdoors in a way that I didn't really understand. So, you know, call it young man's ignorance. Yeah, but that's how we got started, you know, <laughs> just out there with the guys in the cold, <laughs> just having a good time, cracking jokes and whatnot. Yeah, Alaska's, I think, on a lot of hikers and backpackers' uh, bucket list. How was it, you know, switching from Alaska down to the Pacific Northwest? And how would you describe the hiking scene in and around your neck of the woods? Being in the Seattle area, it's just a part of the culture, especially being in coffee, it's almost stranger to find people that, that don't hike, even if it's just a casual thing. So it's not as it's not as extreme as Alaska is because what place is? I mean, you can drive down a highway and for anybody who might be listening from Alaska, you know, if you're going from Anchorage Anchorage to Girdwood, those mountains are right next to you. You know, you drive thirty minutes outside of Eagle River and you're out there. You know, so, you know, for most hikes that I would want to get to, they're about an hour, an hour and a half, two or three outside of Seattle. So it's not as in your face, but when you're out there, you know, in the North Cascades or, or whatever it may be, it's it's just as impressive. So I, I love the area. I love everything that the area has to offer, just the diversity in the hikes as well. So I can't complain. It, it, it's been a great move. I think for, for folks living in the Seattle area, I'm always interested in what are some of their favorite hiking trails or destinations within the state? Because I'm based out of central Washington, so I typically try to stay within the central and southern Cascades. But Seattle is such a good launching pad for any direction, whether it's the North Cascades, you know, central Cascades, or even the Olympics. What are some of your favorite local hiking trails and destinations? See, that's the hard part about the question. Because I'm in this area with so much variety and so much versatility, and what the hikes offer, I know that I haven't even scratched the surface yet. So it's hard to choose one right now when I still feel so young in the game. A very approachable hike, not at the, at the risk of changing the nature of the question, but one of my favorite hikes that I also tell other people to go to is Lake 22. Very popular, very approachable. It's just a way to get people out without intimidating them. Because, you know, as hikers and as backpackers, we tell people, you know, some of these adventures that we go on and people are like, I could never do something like that. Like they would never want to to push out that far or quote unquote suffer as much as we do <laughs> for the fun of it. So I'm going to go with Lake 22 for now just because it's so pretty. It's hard enough just to work up a sweat, but by the time you get to the top, you're hanging out. And it's a really good hike to get people to go with you on. So then you kind of see those little moments where, especially at the top of Lake 22, where people's just eyes just glow. And it's like, yes, this is what I wanted you to see. You know, This was the whole reason that we came out here. So I'm going to go with Lake 22 for now. You ask me in two or three years, it's probably going to be something completely different. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I think Lake 22 is, is one of those hidden gems um, in the Cascade Range where it's popular in the sense that, you know, either a lot of people have heard of it or they've done it, but it right. hasn't gotten the foot traffic like 
you know, Kolchuk or, or any of those. And it's just right. equally as impressive. Now, Joshua, you're also a backpacker. And I just started backpacking this this summer for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always interested in finding out you know, some of the favorite backpack destinations here in Washington that people have had a chance to to hike into and, and camp. Do you have any favorite backpacking destinations in and around the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, 100%. At the risk of sounding too much on brand, Rampart Lakes is an absolute must. Going to Rampart Lakes changed my life. Shy Shy Beach was an amazing backpacking trip. I had never done any coastal hikes before, let alone camping along the coast and traversing like the coastal rock. If you've got weaker knees like I do, just be prepared, you know, pack accordingly. I thought that we were going to be staying on the same beach for three days, but it turns out we camped at one beach at one night, traversed a few miles the next day over the coastal rock and then stayed at another beach. So I was, I was hurting, but it's kind of along the same lines of the last question. I just, I know that there is so much out there that I haven't experienced yet. So it's hard to choose a favorite, but for now I will say Rampart Lakes just because it had such any, an emotional and in some ways probably a I don't want to say intellectual, but it just, it was a life changing experience for me to get up those mountains and camp and just be in the area. Cause I think I would say that was my first time staying out in the wilderness for that long that didn't have the label of a training exercise behind it. It's one thing when you're out in Alaska and you've been hiking all day, but you know, you're in uniform, you're doing you know, inventory checks, you're checking on, on your dudes and they're checking on you as well. Uh, there, there's a mission and there's a purpose for being out there. That was my first time just being out there and just enjoying it. So there was actually a little bit of come down time when we first got there. I'm like, okay, cool. I got to set up my tent. I got to do this. I got to check all my food, put everything, dress right dress. And my buddies are like, no, dude, chill out. <laughs> set up the hammock, go read a book, go take a nap. I'm like, oh. This is an option. I can do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so for now, I will say Rampart Lakes, but I'm sure mm-hmm. in the future it'll be something different. Yeah, and that's the beauty about bucket list, especially when it comes to hiking. It's ever growing. Even you know, if you're checking off things, the list is continuing to grow, and that's the beauty of it. Now, Josh, this episode is going to be coming out in uh, the fall. You know, and here in the Pacific Northwest. It's the evergreen state, so we don't have too many deciduous trees, although Seattle has some really great communities that have some great fall colors. Do you have any favorite fall hiking trails to kind of catch some of the fall colors or even the larches? I don't yet. I don't. And one of the main reasons behind that, and this is probably something we'll touch into a little bit more later on, is for the past two years, and and you'll probably understand this uh, more than some as well, for the past two years, we've been working on foretold a lot that's been taking precedence. And it's it's been a very interesting thought to me that when you're working on something, usually what ends up happening is it takes you away from the very thing that you're working on it for which has been a difficult process. So we've been trying to get, so for the past two years, I've gotten out and you know backpacked and hiked as much as I can, but I haven't really had that freedom of maneuver. So I haven't yet. I, I don't have a trail yet. I'm imagining still that Colchuck is going to be this, this haven, especially in the fall, or maybe Heather Maple Pass, but I, I haven't seen it with the fall colors yet. I haven't. So, and there's something beautiful about that to me, the fact that 
I know that I'm going to be amazed, but it's never, it's never exactly what you think when it comes to nature. It's usually always better. I don't have one just yet. And there's a reason, not an excuse, <laughs> but I am working on it. This fall, we're going to go crazy. I'm just going to yeah. be gone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with fall means that winter isn't too far behind. And for me, you know, some of my favorite hiking destinations in the Cascades become a little bit impassable. So I tend to go a little bit further east into the desert for my winter hiking. Have you been able to find some great winter hiking in and around Seattle? 100%. Lake 22 is still pretty accessible for the winter. Franklin oh, Falls. Okay is great in the winter. You might have to park a little bit further from the trailhead, so I think it adds another mile or two. There was Lake Talpas at certain times, or Talpas Lake, excuse me, at certain times is accessible in the winter. It kind of varies throughout the winter because it depends on the snow levels. So there be there will be times when you know those roads are closed off and you can't get there but then there are other times when you can just drive up and get in that winter wonderland. And that's another goal for this year as well. I want to really, really train and then also get the proper equipment to just be out there this winter and possibly look into doing some sort of winter backpacking trip in the snow. So that's going to take some time, equipment and training as well. But that's, that's definitely on the whiteboard of, okay, what can we do? You know, and I'm glad you brought up Franklin Falls because that's been on my bucket list. I've gone during the the summer, but all the pictures I've seen from winter, it just changes it so drastically with the snow and the ice. On the times that you've done it in the winter, Joshua, have you had to have micro spikes or snowshoes to get in or? They're highly advisable. The mm-hmm. last time we did it, my buddy and I, we didn't we didn't bring the spikes. And that definitely changed our experience. Our knees were creaking the entire time. <laughs> and especially you get to this point right at the end of the trail where there's the big waterfall. And it's amazing, you know, not trying to push people to the Instagram. But one of the main reels that I have on the Instagram is the waterfall going in slow motion with the icicles all around it and the uh. snow is flurrying around it. So if the waterfall is still going, it's an amazing sight. But right before that, there's this big, heavy dip. And then on the left-hand side, there's just a drop off. So if you don't have spikes on, it is terrifying. <laughs> but So we have people just walking straight past us, just looking at us like we're idiots. And we're just like, yeah, yeah, we know, we know. <laughs> we're just crawling. And yeah. Keenan's braver than me. You know, he'll just pull the pants up and then just slide down <laughs> that thing. I'm like, Uh, (laughs) yeah what one of my buddies um took his girlfriend up there um last winter and in that dip um they didn't take micro spikes they took snowshoes but they took their snowshoes off right before the dip and she ended up sliding into the water she didn't like get fully submerged but uh that was that's one story where i'm like okay I, I think I'm going to take micro spikes. Yeah. <laughs> so don't, yeah. Don't do a water slide. <laughs> that is terrifying. You got to, yeah. you got to beeline back to the car so you can heat up. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bad day. Yeah. I want to say they stayed like an, an extra 10, 15 minutes just to, you know, they made it there. They took their pictures and then they hustled to the car. <laughs> Oh, really? So she just she just topped it out? Good for her. Yeah. Good for her. I would have been sprinting back. I would have been like, get me in the heat. <laughs> same. I'd be like, same. I'm cold. Talk to me now. 
Now, uh, Joshua, you're a co-founder of an amazing coffee company, Foretold Coffee Company. And, um, you know, Mexican honey is my personal favorite from your guys' blends. Can you share with us the origin story of Foretold Coffee and how it came to be? It's, it's a longer story. So due to time constraints, I'll try to summarize it. But it's, it's a little bit of a longer story. So due to time constraints, I want to try to summarize it as best as I can. So after getting out of the military, there was a series of events that I would say that left me pretty broken. So at the time, I didn't really have much direction. I kind of fell into the defense industry after moving to Seattle. And a great buddy of mine, the one that we were talking about before, he's named Keenan. And if you follow the Instagram, you've definitely seen him. You've definitely seen Keenan, like tattoos everywhere, you know, just silly laugh. He goes on almost every single hike with us. He just asked me one day if I wanted to go on a hike. And I said, yeah, sure. You know, whatever. Let's let's just get out the house. He said it was going to be super easy, that it wasn't super far away, that it was just going to be good casual time and that we'll be home, you know, in time for dinner. What he didn't tell me, and this is very Keenan activity. This is very keen of him. Is he didn't tell me that this was going to be the Mount Pilchuck Fire Lookout hike? Oh wow! <laughs> so oh. I'm not crazy, right? Okay. No, no, so no. so I'm incredibly out of shape. You know, I'm I'm drinking a lot at the time. You know, just for the sake of full vulnerability. Like it, it wasn't a good period. So to then throw me into this six mile hike that I'm pretty sure had about. 2000, I think it's around 2125 gain. There's blasted rock everywhere. I've got bad knees. It was just, it was just painful. It was just painful. But because of that experience, I really got addicted to it, especially when we got up to the top of the fire lookout. I really wanted to experience that all over again because, again, at the time, I still hadn't made the connection of like, oh, this is what I was doing when I was in the military. You know, so I was just like, okay, cool. When can we go again? When can we go somewhere else? So that's what it became. It just became hike after hike after hike. And then I started meeting other people that were hiking. And at the time, I still hadn't made that connection. It it, it had been about a year. So then we met up with our buddy, Jack, and he suggested that we go to Rampart Lakes. So first backpacking trip in Washington state, we go up to Rampart Lakes. And to this day, I still don't know if this is 100% accurate, but there was this moment earlier in the morning where it kind of looked like the moon and the sun were kind of angularly aligned. And if you look at the logo, you'll actually be able to see that it's kind of set up that way. And maybe this is a little too, you know, woo woo to try to describe, but There are these moments in time in nature where I feel like the best way to describe it is like time just stops. You know, you're kind of just in awe. And then so you just sit down. And I realized in that moment for for my life specifically that if if I didn't start making any changes or different decisions, that I was going to go down the mountain the same way I came up. And for me, that wasn't really an option anymore. So I sat down, I made a cup of coffee, and I started at the very beginning of anything that I can think of that brought some sort of peace, brought some sort of happiness. And I kept going back to my time in St. Louis when I was working in coffee. I was like, that was great. I loved it. I didn't have a care in the world. I enjoyed the structure of it while also having the artistic freedom at the same time. So after coming down off the mountain, I just attached myself to coffee again. I started going to a bunch of coffee shops, started reading about coffee. And then there was this gradual 
understanding. And I guess the best way to describe it is Mm -hmm. when you're in one of those dark spots and then you find a little glimpse of happiness, that starts to change things. That starts to rephrase questions. That starts to make you think about things in a very, very different way. So at first it started out, okay, cool. How can I just be around coffee more? And then it turned into how can I be on the mountain with coffee as much as I possibly can? And then we have the realities of our modern lives of, you know, we have jobs, we have responsibilities. Some of us can, some of us choose to, but not all of us can just decide to live on the mountain. So it became, okay, how can I facilitate a structured system that allows not just me, but the people that I care about to do this as much as we can. And then that turned into, okay, how can I provide this feeling that I'm having for everyone that I know or whoever wants to have it to get outside and have a great cup of coffee and just take a moment and take a break and breathe and just really think back on what's going on. That was the precursor of how Foretold started. It started honestly in a desperate attempt to take my life back. And then it turned into, oh, this is something that everybody can benefit from. This is something that everybody can enjoy. Being outside, great cup of coffee, great company, as in the people around you, but also really sitting down and thinking and breathing and, you know, giving your time to think about some of the deeper things. So that way you can value exactly what's going on. That's beautiful, man. You know, I think a lot of hikers have those moments that you describe where the outdoors just provides a moment of clarity where... Yeah, just sits you down. Yeah. Especially if you're going through a struggle, it's hard to navigate the fogginess of that struggle when you're in it. But then I've experienced it myself where I'll go on a hike and just find a a moment of peace that provides clarity. Yes, um, yes. And I think, yeah, a a lot of hikers experience those moments. And it's such an awesome origin story for how the coffee company came to be. And I'm glad you mentioned the logo because I always love the background story on the logo too, how it came to be. And Mm -hmm. to know that it was something that you experienced in Rampart Lakes just adds to it. Yeah. It's a compound what you just said, you know, about hikers having these experiences out in nature. That's what we're trying to facilitate for people. And that's what we're trying to, we're we're trying to accompany them with our coffee for those moments. Like, hey, sit down, make this cup and, you know, and hammer it out, figure it out. You know, it's only going to get better, but you got (laughs) to, you got to sit down and you got to stop and you got to let nature talk to you. But it's it's yeah. that much better with a great cup of coffee in hand that reminds you like, oh, this is what we're doing. That way also, when you're at home and you see that bag, you know, by your coffee maker or on your shelf or whatever it may be, you can then remember like, oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, breathe, relax. You know, that's why we say bring the mountains home with you. Bring those yeah. moments of clarity home with you. You hit it right on the head where... A good solid cup of coffee will will help you slow down, especially in the mornings, because a bad cup of coffee, you just try to down it as fast as you can and get it over with. But a solid one, you definitely take your time, you enjoy your surroundings. And the the blend that you guys created, Mexican honey, is is one of those that really I like to sip on and enjoy and and take my time. And I appreciate you guys sending me a sample bag. And I got to say... As soon as I opened up the shipping box, 
it just filled my car with that beautiful smell and by far best smelling coffee I've, I've ever come across to the point where if you guys ever do like coffee scented candles, I would buy a Mexican honey scented candle 100%. We'll call. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, for me, I wanted to know how that blend kind of came together because it's such a unique blend and, and such a great smelling mm-hmm. blend. So a little bit of backstory here. So it's actually not a blend. So it's actually strictly single origin. Okay. So what single origin means, it's, you know, at the risk of sounding like I'm insulting the intelligence, which hopefully I'm not, it originates from a one source. So one farm, one farmer, one producer, usually when you have blends and usually when you end up having blends, it's either a higher quality Arabica bean that's going to be mixed in with either another high quality Arabica bean, especially when you get into those specialty coffee spaces. But Mm -hmm. for some of the non-specialty coffee spaces, usually it'll be a higher Arabica bean with either a lower quality Arabica bean or a Robusta coffee, which does not have as much quality as a Arabica. So, you know, percentages, whether it be, you know, 70, 30, 60, 40, 50, 50, that just depends on the roaster and that just depends on their recipe. But for now, we are strictly doing single origin coffees just because we believe that Mm -hmm. promotes the most value and you get the most out of the coffee itself. For the Mexican honey coffee (laughs) specifically, the inspiration from that actually came from my dad. So I come from a African-American and Latino heritage. Uh, My dad immigrated from Mexico when he was a kid and lived in Texas and then ended up finding his way in St. Louis. So he's a union construction worker, big time welder. He's pretty known around the city in that professional space. And, you know, as a kid, you can't appreciate that. You know, you can't look at him and be like, hey, this guy really crushes it every single day. He gets out there, he braves against the elements because in Missouri and a lot of Midwestern states, so some of your Midwestern listeners will definitely know this, you get the extremes of, of every season. So when it's hot, it is hot and humid. When it's cold, it is amazingly cold and so on and so forth. So if you're a construction worker out there, if you're a welder, if you're doing any kind of labor like that, that's a hard way to make a living as a respectable of a career as it is. But every single morning, he had this big thermos of coffee. He'd put a little bit of cream and a little bit of honey in it. So I specifically wanted to create a coffee. I was like, what is the best version of the coffee that my dad had every day before he would go to work or dropping me off or yelling at me if I was in trouble or something like that, which is probably well-deserved. But rain, sleet, snow, shine, he had this coffee. So we worked with some beans. We worked with some different roasting styles or, you know, roasting recipes. And it kind of, it ironically enough, there was a Mexican coffee that we sourced. We did our roast profile on it. And it brought me back to that, you know, those early mornings, because we had to get up with them. You know, my mother's a nurse. We're waking up at five o'clock in the morning so they can drop us off at Latchkey or something like that because they got to go to work. So it brought me back to that. Oh, yeah, I know what this smell is. I know what this taste is. And it was amazing sending him that coffee specifically. And he put cream and he put honey in it. And then he told me I threw that out and I just put in a fresh cup. 
And I sat down in my kitchen and I looked outside and I thought about like, maybe I need to go to Paris or something. And I was like, <laughs> yes, man. Like, yes. That was the whole point. So that's kind of the backstory on that specific coffee. Wow. So single origin and heavily inspired by not just my father and my life, but heavily inspired by the Midwestern Southern coffee scene. When they say mm. they want their coffee dark, they mean it dark. So that's what we did. We're going to give you oh. the best version of that. That's an amazing story, man. And that just makes me appreciate the bag even more because I'm Mexican too. And, and I don't know if your dad used the same thermos, but I feel like in the 80s and 90s, it was oh. the, the thermos that was like fully metal with a little handle and the lid was the cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yep. my dad was the same way. That's how he yep. started his morning is he would fill that up with a, a fresh cup, add his cream. And yeah, that was part of the, the morning ritual. So that backdoor yep. hearing it just makes me uh, appreciate uh, Mexican honey even more. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I, yep. I appreciate that. Thank you. And the, the cool thing about it is we say about our company specifically, and we mean it very specifically, is we roast to the taste of outdoor enthusiasts and coffee professionals. We don't necessarily claim to be a specialty coffee company. That's not necessarily what I want to be taken out of it. What I claim is to be in the specialty coffee space. I want to bridge that gap. So to take my father who has been drinking coffee, whatever it may be with, you know, milk and cream or, and, and honey and whatever it may be to get him to just drink it black. And then now we've gotten to the point where he's like, you know, I'm seeing all these other bags about like, you know, these Kenyan coffees, these Ethiopian coffees. He's like, he's looking at these light roasted, very specialty <laughs> coffees. And I'm like, yes, keep going that way. That's where the good stuff is, right? It's cool kind of being in that space of like, here's something that you understand that you enjoy. I'm giving you the best version of this. And now we're opening up this world of coffee to these people that, you know, wouldn't have looked at it, you know, any other way. And I appreciate you sharing about the blends because when I was in Hawaii, you know, Kona mm-hmm. coffee was, was huge and yeah. it was 100% Kona coffee. So it hit differently. And mm-hmm. coming back to the mainland and buying stuff that I thought was Kona coffee, but then yeah. finding out it's a blend and it's only like maybe 10% Kona. Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't yeah. hit the same. It don't hit the same. <laughs> <laughs> but outside of Mexican honey, you have a, a couple other varieties that are up for sale. Um, can you share a little bit about those and, and what the process was behind creating them as well? 100%. So we all of our coffees, again, as of now, are single origin. And that's probably what we're going to specialize in sticking with. Maybe later on we'll do some blends, but those will be blends with other quality single origins as well. But for now, strictly single origin. So we offer a Peruvian coffee and then we also offer an El Salvadoran coffee. Our Peruvian is going to be our light roast, which is actually graded for specialty coffee. And then our El Salvadoran is, I'm pretty sure that's the one that that has the Rainforest Alliance certification with it, which was really important to us as well. So we have a little bit of diversity within our coffees as well as far as grading and certification, which is a little bit longer of a conversation that could take up the rest of our time. So we'll try to go past that. But the way that I would approach this for someone who isn't in the specialty coffee space that honestly doesn't really care is start with the El Salvadoran because that is going to be our medium roasted coffee. 
So you're getting a little bit of taste of both worlds. If you know that you specifically like single origin coffees, let's go ahead and start with the Peruvian. And if you've never been in the specialty coffee space, you don't really care. You just want something that's going to be good and the best version of what you're already having for you know milk, cream, sugar, whatever it may be, then go with the Mexican honey. The way that these came to be was actually from you guys. And this is what that means. At the risk of, you know, sounding like I'm trying to, you know, dog on the on the coffee industry, I'm not necessarily trying to do that because I've had conversations with other people in the coffee industry and usually they would agree with me. It's it's a very insular space. Like there's this tendency to be like, okay, cool. This is a Kenyan. This is an Ethiopian. This is a grade that it is. So therefore, it ticks all the boxes of what a good coffee is supposed to be. Therefore, it is good. Now, you're like, duh, Josh, that's advertising, that's marketing, that's people with these very advanced taste palettes that, you know, have dedicated their entire lives to the coffee industry. Of course, they're right about it. And that is true. But on the other end, there is somebody in rural Indiana right now that does not care about that at all, right? When the majority of the people truly don't care about that. And again, not trying to dog on the coffee industry itself. The coffee industry usually just kind of just ignores those people. At least that's what it seems like to me. And it's been a very interesting experience because I've seen it before when you have baristas or when you have all, you know, a certain type of person dogging somebody that's probably going to go, you know, build someone's house or is a plumber or is working outside or a wildland firefighter or something like that. And they're putting cream and sugar in their coffee and they're like, you know, poo-pooing on them for it. And it's like, you ain't calloused, you know, why are you, you know, who are you to talk to me like this? But I've seen yeah. it before. And, you know, usually in these, with these experiences in nine times out of 10, they'd be like, who cares? Whatever. It, it doesn't really matter. But because coffee is the second most drank substance in the world next to water, it's an over billion dollar industry and it's almost in every person's house. There's something very personal to that. So you take these very hard people who brave against the elements in whatever professional fashion that they do or for fun, whatever it may be, and then you start dogging on them for cream and sugar. And for some reason, that hits different. And that's because it's so ingrained. So when we had the original meeting of like, okay, what do we want to bring to the table? The main thought that I had is I want to make the best version of the coffee that my people already that I know because I know what you like. I know you like the darker stuff that takes the cream and sugar. And I kind of have this mental wheel of taste notes that I know that people are looking for in our community. So I asked myself, how can I make the best version of this? And then also expand it just a little bit to get to the point to where, hey, if you don't need cream and sugar, that's a win. That's what we're looking for because the coffee needs to be that good. The problem is not necessarily that you need cream and sugar. The problem is the coffee that doesn't need that usually is not accessible to somebody who's not necessarily looking for it. So I'm giving you that. So, and you know, hopefully that doesn't, that doesn't sound too confusing. I, I feel like I bounced around a lot with that, but the idea strictly came from to, to summarize it as much as I possibly can. What do my people want? 
this isn't going to be me, you know, saying this is what I think is good. So therefore you should think this is good and bend to what my taste says. This is, Hey, I made this for you because I am you and I know what you like. <laughs> so that's where that came from. Yeah. And especially here in the Pacific Northwest, the outdoors, hiking and backpacking and coffee go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for me, Monday through Friday, I drink my coffee black, although mm-hmm. I'll add um, some mushroom extracts that's supposed to help oh, with focus okay. and energy. But then on weekends, I'll add my cream, my, my milk yeah. or sugar. Do it. And, and that's the beauty of it is I feel like, you know, sometimes, especially in and around Seattle and the Pacific Northwest, like you have to have your coffee a certain way in order to be mm-hmm. considered like a coffee aficionado. But, you know, some days I drink it black. Some days I, I need a sweetener. And I think yeah. the, the vast variety of coffee out there lends itself to, to changes in how you, you take it. 100%. Yeah, we as a company reject that whole concept of this weird, weird, strange elitism that I don't truly understand. Especially when you're talking to people that, you know, they sacrifice their time and their bodies outside, you know, working these really hard jobs or I don't, I don't want to go off all over again. It's just a strange space to be <laughs> in at times. You know what I mean? So I'm wondering, Joshua, what's been your, your relationship with coffee and the outdoors prior to Foretold and what is, what is it now? It goes hand in hand. One of my buddies, Emma, that went on, I mean, she usually hikes with us every single time. And when we went to Shy Shy Beach, it was funny enough, we got this little clip that I absolutely love of we're all getting ready for day two because we're going to push back to the beach. And then she just goes, coffee, I need it. We're drinking coffee. And this was not a question. This was a declaration. She was telling the campsite, (laughs) we are drinking coffee. So my relationship to coffee before foretold especially being stationed in Alaska, it, it it was just a part of the day. It was just a necessity. And it was one of those things that brought joy, especially in the coldest of times. We had a training mission one time that was supposed to last for two weeks, but end up lasting for a month in the dead of winter. If you don't think that coffee hit, <laughs> that coffee hit, and it wasn't even good. So... <laughs> And I was still even, you know, amongst my platoon and some of our friends, I was known as, you know, sort of a a coffee guy. Not sort of, but, you know, if they listen to this, they're going to start roasting me in my text messages like, oh, you think you're cool? But um, (laughs) yeah, you know, that was kind of just the relationship that I had with coffee. It was just assumed. But because I assumed it, it wasn't it wasn't that it wasn't appreciated. And that's where. I would say that this is good. I would say that's where I lost my snootiness. Starting in the specialty coffee space in St. Louis, I did gain that. Like, okay, cool, cream, sugar, what are you doing? Uh, you need this high grade, yada, yada. But there are plenty of people in professional and personal spaces that do not have access to that. And they also don't care. I need to be warm right now. So yeah. what is the difference? So how much of a difference would that be if it's not just fuel, but it's also good? It can make your day. It can change the day. And now it's been a relationship that I really have to stay on top of because now that we're in the business of it, as trying to balance the aspect of looking at it from the artistic viewpoint and then looking at it from a product viewpoint, I have to make sure that I don't lose touch with 
the love and appreciation and the message of what we're trying to communicate with our coffees and continuing coffee education and remaining in the space and being open to change and being open to being wrong about my own palate. And at the same time, seeing this as a product that you know, it costs money to buy green beans. It costs money to roast. It costs money to package. It costs money to ship. So, and that's a part of the fun. You know, I, I enjoy that part of it as well, but it is something that I have to be mindful of. Don't get so lost in the numbers that you forget to sit down and look out the window and have your cup of coffee and remember to bring the mountains home with you too. You know, yeah. this applies to you as well. So, yeah. I love that. You know, we kind of talked about this before we started recording, but, you know, a lot of backpackers to sacrifice quality and save on weight, they tend to pack the instant coffee, which, you know, it's it's okay. but I've definitely struggled to find the right one that works for me. Have you found a good way to enjoy coffee on a backpacking trip um, that doesn't sacrifice quality or taste? I think AeroPress is the way to go. And that may be the most, you know, I think a lot of people would agree with that. There's nothing inherently wrong with instant coffee if that's how much you value your morning cup. If you just want something to go, then okay, cool. And, you know, little sneak peek into the future, that's something that we're kind of working on in the background. And it's going to take time because of the, you know, instant coffee process. How do I maximize the flavor, but also, you know, keep it in this little tube? But I don't think that even if I had, you know, foretold instant coffee right now in my hand, I would still bring my AeroPress. I'd still bring my little hand crank because that's a part of being outside. The the making of that cup of coffee, that's the point of like, stop, sit down, look at everything around you, crank the beans, put it into your AeroPress, heat up your water. The, the process is just as meditative as enjoying it as well. So for not that much weight, you can bring a whole bag with you if you wanted to. It is two pounds, you know, but if you're hiking with a big group, that is a great thing. That's one of the reasons why we did that is so you could share it. But yeah, AeroPress is definitely the way to go. Get a hand crank grinder. And then most people already have some sort of water heating system. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. And have you been able to find or or witness a good camp hack or backpacking hack to make coffee without taking too much gear? So I think my answer follows that one up as well, because the AeroPress, Mm -hmm. it collapses into itself. So then it's just a little, you know, tubular thing that you can keep with you. That hand crank grinder, you can pack that up in a little bag. And there's all sorts of different versions of that grinder. You know, you have to take out a filter or two, depending on how many coffees that you want to make. But this stuff does not take up a lot of space. You know, if, if you've you know been anything like me in the past, there have definitely been some things that I took that I did not need to take <laughs> that took up a lot more space than yeah. what this little grinder, this little brewing system would. And, you know, just a little bit of coffee, you know, put that in a separate bag or whatever it may be, depending on how long your push is. So I think the AeroPress and and that whole system, that answers both of those questions for me, at least. And, you know, you being in the industry and and being a longtime aficionado of coffee, what's your perfect cup of coffee consist of? And I know it could change. Yeah, that's hard because I, I, I can take that a few different ways. But even the best quality beans, you know, 
if you get some glacier water or something like that. I don't know if that's placebo, if I just tell myself that it makes a difference. <laughs> but every time I make a cup with glacier water, I'm just like, this is different. <laughs> but, uh, um, it's hard to say because especially on the mountain, you could be set up for success, but you might not make the perfect cup because you're probably not taking a scale with you or anything like that unless you pre-dosed and pre-measured out the grounds. So the way that I would answer that is like the perfect cup of coffee for me, especially on the mountain, it just stops me. It just stops me in my tracks. I usually smile. I mean, there's been times where I've been in Alaska and it has been dead cold and I'm still not sure to this day if I cried or not because it was so cold. But I think the perfect cup emits an emotional response and gives way to pause. There's this beautiful relationship with coffee, nature, and whatever you're going through. And it creates this perfect triangle. And we've seen it throughout history. You know, cowboys and coffee, miners and coffee, you know, soldiers and coffee, what hikers, backpackers, whatever it may be. When you combine the struggle of the outdoors, whether it's for professional or for pleasure, a good cup of coffee, you get this moment of just stillness. So that to me is a perfect cup when you just stop. Got to agree with that statement. Yeah. Now, um, I'm really excited because you guys launched your online shop recently. Yeah. Um, can you share with our listeners how they can buy and try out some of these different varieties that you, you have on sale right now? Yeah, you can just go to foretoldcoffeeco.com and just visit the shop. We've got all of those coffees that we've talked about before listed in the shop with also the coffee descriptions. You could go to our Instagram as well. We've got the link in the bio. And then you can also, by going to the Instagram, see a little bit more of the, you know, behind the scenes, not just the content, but also like you can just see us goofing off too. Like especially Henrik and I, <laughs> like we love playing around. Especially on roast days. We're just messing with each other the entire time. So, yeah, just hit us up on our website. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's why I really love your guys' feeds because you'll do the very inspirational, you know, reels with the, the perfect blend of music and viewpoints. But then you do mix in those fun moments that you have, like behind the scenes. Yeah. And it's always great to see those type of moments. Right. It's I appreciate really, that. We're always picking on each other it's amazing <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's got like a super can. heavy polish accent so it just makes it that much funnier because he towers <laughs> over me he's just like oh do you need help getting up here and i'm like shut up oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah you can definitely tell the brotherhood with you guys <laughs> You know, some hikers and, and backpackers, um, they like to have a regular routine, whether it's at the summit, at camp, or maybe at the end of the hike. Sometimes it's a favorite snack or meal, some sort of drink, or even just a moment of zen. Is there a regular custom or routine that you do when you reach your destination or maybe the summit? As, as much as I love coffee, there's very few things that beat that summit beer. You get to the top, you crack open a Coors Light. <laughs> it's great, man. I know not everybody drinks. I go through my, you know, my times of drinking and not drinking. But even when I'm not drinking and I'll go on top of the mountain, I'll be like, man, I wish I had a Coors right now. <laughs> so a summit beer is really nice. The post-hike meal, you know, like a, a, a Chipotle bowl. I love Chipotle after a hike, after a backpacking trip, kind of just sitting there in the restaurant 
just all beat up. You know, all of you smell, <laughs> but you don't care. You're like, this is real food. So I would say, yeah, I would say definitely the Summit beer, you know, experiences and mileage may vary on the choice of, of beer. Mm-hmm. As much as I enjoy, you know, a nice IPA, a nice sour from time to time, Coors Light hits different at the top and and definitely a, a Chipotle bowl upon getting back. That's nice. I like it. Now, um, when it comes to your pack list for either day hikes or backpacking, um, do you have any luxury items that you tend to carry that fall outside of the essentials? Camp Crocs. Got to have my Camp Crocs on as soon as we stop. The Crocs are on. They just appear on my feet. Um, You know, I thought about that question a lot, and I really don't know. And it's ironic because I feel like I bring so much stuff every single time, but I just bring extra of the essentials. And maybe that's what constitutes as as luxury, because I will bring an unreasonable amount of cold weather gear. I I promised myself a long time ago I would never be that cold again. (laughs) So... I will go through the entire process of warming up at night, especially after the sun goes down. And it's just great. Like I'll just be in shorts and socks and a t-shirt and I will wait. And then I'll put on my sweatpants and then I'll wait and then put on the hoodie. And then only after I have that stuff on, then I'll eat my, my hot meal. So that way I'm warm for the rest of the evening. But yeah, Camp Crocs, 100%. And just a ridiculous amount of cold weather gear. I would say those are my luxurious items. Well, Josh, we've been talking about some of the upcoming hikes that you want to do this fall, but is there anyone outside of Kolchuk that you want to check off by the end of 2023? Not specifically, to be honest. I'm relying on my team, if you will, to be like, this is where we're going. Because usually, usually Jack plans the hikes. And he he's from here, born and raised. Like so, a lot of these hikes that he's either been on them or have heard of them or knows them, and he loves doing that process. Like he'll look at the maps, do everything. So not right now specifically uh, outside of Kolchuk. Kolchuk is my number one right now. So well, that was it for the regular questions. This next portion of the podcast is the this or that questions. Josh, I'm going to give you two hiking related terms, and you just choose the one that you personally enjoy. All right. So the first one is: Do you prefer ascending or descending? Ascending. I have bad knees. Getting getting down just it's a fight every single time. And then this one's a tough one, but waterfalls or summits waterfalls every time waterfalls yeah. i will stop for the smallest of creeks and i'll be like oh my god it's a water feature like and all my buddies <laughs> make fun of me so waterfalls every time any any right. water feature i'm there for it and then when it comes to the trails itself do you prefer a trail that has switchbacks leading up or just straight up straight up and then are you team trek poles or freehand trek poles yeah. And this one's a, a new one because I've definitely seen a big shift here in the Pacific Northwest and I think all over the, the country, but trail runners or hiking boots? I've, I've only done hiking boots, so I'm going to have to go with hiking boots, but I'm really curious about trail runners because I've got flat feet and bad knees. So maybe that that's where I need to do some research. Maybe I need to switch my gear up a little bit. But for now, I'm going to go with hiking boots because that's what I've been using. And then this is another trail system feature. But do you like a loop trail or an outback trail? Loop. And then I know we're, we're coming into fall, but um, when you do come across a body of water, do you jump in or do you stay dry? I stay dry. <laughs> <laughs> 
time not getting in there. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, this one's equally tough, but sunsets or sunrises? Sunset. This one's another hard one, but spring wildflowers or fall colors? Fall colors. I haven't even seen them yet, and I know. <laughs> and then this one's the most controversial one, but do you tag a hike or do you not tag a hike on social media? I tag it. Awesome. People, let the people know. Like, the people got to know. Well, that was it for the for that the this fun, or that man. questions, Josh. Really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Once again, if folks want to buy Foretold Coffee or um, follow you guys online or on social media, what are some of the places they can find you at? You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, YouTube as well. Yeah, you can always go to our website, foretoldcoffeeco.com. And yeah, we're, we're trying to make ourselves as available as possible. So yeah, anywhere where you would think to look, you can probably find us. And we'll be sure to put all those in the episode show notes. So listeners, um, please check Foretold Coffee out and check out Josh and the crew on social media, including Instagram, to see some of those fun behind the scenes videos that they post. Thanks, Josh, for coming on. Yeah, thank you. This was great. Thank you once again to Joshua for joining us on our latest bonus episode of the Hikes and Mikes podcast. Be sure to follow him and his company on Instagram at Foretold Coffee Co. And don't forget to use the promo code HikesMikes10 at checkout to get 10% off your first bag of Foretold Coffee. We'll be putting out bonus episodes later this fall, along with our regular episodes on Mondays. Please be sure to like and subscribe to not miss out on those. Be sure to also follow us on Instagram at Hikes and Mikes. Happy trails, everyone. This episode's music was created by Ketza. Follow him on Instagram at Ketza Music. This episode is brought to you by Flip Socks. Whether you're on the trail, on the job, or in the yard, Flip Socks will keep Mother Nature out of your boots with their innovative nylon sleeve. You no longer need to worry about any annoying debris getting trapped in your boots during your hikes. Simply flip down the nylon sleeve over any boot to prevent Mother Nature from finding its way inside, keeping your feet comfortable all day long. To get your first pair, visit flipsockswithaz.com and enter promo code HIKESMIKES10 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. And for listeners who use the promo code at checkout, I'll be donating 100% of the Season 2 promo code proceeds to Big City Mountaineers, who provide transformative experiences through connections to nature that strengthen life skills and build community for youth and disinvested communities across the nation. So if you're tired of bits and pieces of the trail finding its way into your hiking boots, pick up a pair of flip socks today with the promo code HIKESMIKES10 to get 10% off. For website and promo code, See the episode description.